Fun fact, the song you listened to at the intro and outro of today's episode with JT Hiri was called Golom Gamare, a poem by Rumi, who is a 13th century Persian poet, theologian, as well as scholar. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for tuning in. So we're here today. It is Friday evening, yes. um, and and Jay has been gracious enough to let me come to his office and talk to him about immigration, yes. immigrant, and, like all the beautiful things that you can be, and all the different under the umbrella, and what that means, and the obstacles you face. Because this podcast is our voices, and I would like the listeners to, to learn a little bit about that. So, Jay, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Jay Tahiri. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, born uh, 47 years ago yeah. in, uh, in, in Iran, in the center of Iran. There is a very historic city going back to the Persian Empire called Esfahan, uh, which is a very, very beautiful city with a lot of culture and a lot of um, history. I, after college, I moved to pursue my education to Singapore, and uh, I lived there for about five years, and then I moved to the United States in the year 2000, the end of 2000, early 2001, uh, and I have been here ever since. And and tell me, why did you go to Singapore for education? Why not in Iran? Well, uh when I uh, finished college, I, I was very curious about about the world. I wanted to travel the world. Uh, it, it wasn't because of uh, anything economical or any political or, or on any other issue. It was just more curiosity of what's going on around the world. Um, the country was very closed, and I wanted somewhere that is more open. But I would say it was more of a kind of accidental thing where uh, I talked to a friend of mine uh, who has who had a brother in Singapore uh, doing carpet business <laughs> and I said oh if I go to Singapore um, I have support at least he can tell me what's going on and uh, I got a letter saying that well they would give me a, a scholarship and a grant uh, and he said well the rest of it I can help you out so I said, well, let me give it a try. Uh, I do remember that I had very, very little money. I had a motorcycle, which I sold to buy plane ticket. And um, that was pretty much how I went to Singapore and I ended up in Singapore. So you basically went because you knew you would have support. You had a friend and you sold everything and then you just moved there. What did your family think about that? 
Well, um, <clears throat> uh, my mom, my father passed away when I was uh, six years old, almost seven, and I was kind of a father figure for for the family. So they did they did not like it, mm-hmm. and I told them, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna go." The, the first time I went, it was just to explore. So it, the idea was for me to go for the for three months see what's going on, get my admission and settle in and decide what, if I could stay, if I, I had very, very little hope that I could make it. My thing was, I'm going to go to Singapore, uh, see everything, see the country, have fun uh, and explore. And if things worked out, great. If it didn't work out, fine too. So I did not think, I, I, I always thought that it's going to be a three-month thing. And uh, so this, uh, my family thought, uh, but uh, things changed in, 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 in a different direction. Oh, wow. So basically, you're the father figure. You leave for a better opportunity, and you continue living there. So can you tell us a little bit about what's happening in Iran during that time? Like, you said the, com- the country mm-hmm. was closed off. And from what I know about history, um, there was clearly some tension with the Shah of Iran during yes. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Iran is, was in, in historically had has had various political factions that were more liberal, more conservative. But I do believe it was before the Shah it was actually more liberal, and then it became right. more, more more conservative, which right. seems to be the common theme with a lot of Arab countries that it it's like has this spring of like intellectual openness. And then there's someone very conservative who comes in. It's like, Nope, which also happens in the United States now. Right. <laughs> True. Any culture, like it seems yes. to be like the fact, mm-hmm. but what, what was like, actually, um, if you could give us like timelines, I would love to know. <laughs> sure. So, um, <clears throat> what you are talking about was actually when I was a child, uh, when I was six years old, the revolution happened mm-hmm. uh, immediately after the revolution. So when I was uh, at school in elementary school, um, we had the, the it was Iran and Iraq war for mm-hmm. eight years. So growing up, we were uh, foods were rationed, and uh, you had to stay in line for uh, different things. It was a very common thing for in in life that you know the basic thing like. Uh, eggs and like chicken and rice, you it, it's rationed and you have to have uh, stay in line to to get. So those those were things. But for uh, for for me at least, my generation, that was life the way it was. It was not something that was out of ordinary. Mm-hmm. It was something that we we got used to. During the high school, uh, right in the beginning of my high school. The Iraq war got really, really, uh, it was at its peak. Uh, we could see, like, I, I think um, it's in the entrance of the city that I live in uh, that they had one day, they had three soldiers that was killed from that city that people were, uh, they, they were mourning for in, mm. in, in one day. Mm. Um, from both countries, Iran and Iraq, in that eight years, there were one million people that were killed in uh, during eight years war. That's an entire country. That's an entire country, yes. So that that was one thing. But uh, most importantly, when I started learning about uh, my um, 
uh, during the high school, I started uh, questioning a lot of things about not only just politics, but also the the religion in general, which is <clears throat> Iran is a in an Islamic country. It's called Islamic Republic of Iran. And, uh, and in terms of openness and um, uh, how things are. So a lot of things were question mark. Um, Iran, uh, and at least uh, a lot of people that I go, I went to school with, they're all open-minded, uh, very uh, educated. So outside what you see, there is there were, there were a lot of uh, thinking about what is true and what is not true. Uh, at that time, there was no internet, uh, so there was uh, the connection to outside world was very very limited. Uh, so there was this thirst of what's going on everywhere else, and that's what I was looking for. It wasn't because perhaps everything else, the, the economical situation or political situation, was something that I got used to. Uh, it was very natural to me. But the fact that I, I I wanted to know what's going on. That's fascinating. It makes a lot of sense for, I mean, for even for me, when I graduated college, I was just constantly looking for something more. And even in high school, uh, I did boarding school for like a semester through this program in New York City. And after I came back, I just remember being like, oh, this, the world is so big. Sure. And I, I'm from Plano. It's it's. It's just the suburbs of Dallas, you know, mm -hmm. Dallas is well, at that time, I, I think it was maybe a million people, but I just remember coming back from going to school in Westchester, which is still the suburbs, but mm -hmm. going into New York and then going back to Plano right. with my parents and I couldn't like go places and I couldn't do a lot of things. Right. And then, you know, I was like, oh my God, the world is massive and I'm in this little place mm -hmm. and I can't see everything. I want to travel and I want to read, I want to eat. So I, I think that's a very relatable concept. Mm -hmm. um, so you felt that push and, mm -hmm. and obviously you are the father figure and you moved to Singapore and why did you stay there for longer than three months? Well, I actually applied for the, um, for what I really liked. Um, my, um, my education, uh, I graduated as a computer engineer mm -hmm. uh, with the, uh, as a hardware computer engineer, mm -hmm. meaning that, the people that actually make the computer, mm. not the software. However, during the college in Iran, I started coding and I started selling software. So by the time I actually graduated, I, I, I had four software that I was selling and making money. I paid 100% for my call, my own college. I built like a, a kind of a small... Uh, room uh, on the top of our house as at my office and <laughs> created like stairs and people would come. This is when I was uh, uh, around 18 years old, 19 years old. And, um, you know, my uncle helping me with a lot of logistics mm -hmm. and, and getting the workers mm -hmm. and all these things, but I paid for it. Uh, oh, wow. Selling software. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, there were not many people that mm -hmm. were selling software and stuff. Uh, so when I went to Singapore, um, at the age of around 23, 24, I had not only graduated in, from computer hardware, but also I had a lot of software background. Mm. So I was waiting for my scholarship uh, papers and my interview mm -hmm. and all these things to come through uh, where I talked to somebody and they said, hey, can you come and fix our computers? And 
And all of a sudden, I did not even were looking, but something fell into my lap of of working while everything was going on. So I I started working and I was waiting and and uh, the person that actually accepted to do a scholarship for me, uh, I didn't like the the field that they, they they were working on. So I ended up working uh, in Singapore. It was. It was a very, very dream job, even by today's standard. Mm, wow. um, I had um, the luxury of traveling to all Southeast Asia. Uh, nice. at, at that age, I had a phone that was my office. Mm-hmm. I would go to hotels and the, at the beach and they, I would do my job. And wild. Had, exactly. It was very wild. So mm-hmm. there was no reason to, when things were working this well, to... Uh, to go and and when I uh, talked to my mom and my brother, they were like, "No, don't come back." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I always were worried that mm-hmm. are they okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, my youngest brother became uh, in Iran. They have two years compulsory national service. Mm-hmm. So at a time, he was like, "Well, listen, I'm doing my national service. Uh, I'm not home." And my other brother, he was in college, and my mom and everybody was saying that, hey, "Just stay there. Just stay where you are. Just stay where you are. Why, yeah. well, why do you want to come back?" Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you yeah. stayed. And how, how long, how many years did you stay? Uh, so the first time, first uh, year, the idea was for me to wait for my college uh, and everything to, to work out. But, but my work became so busy because it was prior to Y2K and we were oh my doing a lot of yeah. data conversion for the year mm. 2000 and uh, super busy uh, and for me, um, one of the th- successes in, in, in there, there was I was more, uh, technology was making me very much excited rather than money. Mm. And there were, everybody else was looking for money. So there was a, I was more in demand because like um, a complex project mm-hmm. excited me rather than doing it for the money. Mm. And uh, so I was also very much in demand and uh, if if you ask me at the time, I would thought that oh it's one year, but years and months and ve- weeks were passing so quickly. I remember after three years, I went back to visit my family. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And everybody said, oh, um, it is three years, and I said, is it? I felt like it's not even a year because <laughs> you're busy working. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And also impressive, like just going back, you had your own company at a very young age. Yes. Um, you're already making your own money and supporting your family, which is, you know, next level ambitious. Well, I wasn't really supporting them, but I was supporting myself. Which I was is, not a, yeah, I was not. That's still good. <laughs> yes. I wasn't on like, um, I, I remember um, from the age of 13, I never asked for money from my mom. Never, because she was a single mom and I would work in the summer, mm-hmm. um, different jobs. Mm-hmm. And I had my pocket money th- throughout the, the year. And when I went to college, for college, for gas in the car, for anything that you can imagine, uh, I paid myself because I would work. But I, I, was, I was also not contributing, mm-hmm. but I was not also taking away, so... That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. And what was it like immigrating from from Iran to Singapore and traveling all through Southeast Asia? Had you traveled a lot before then? Were no, you- no. That was my uh, 
I I always love travel, so I did a lot of travel within Iran mm-hmm. with with, uh, with, uh, with our own car. My mom had like a very old car mm-hmm. that she she and and uh, and she, and she didn't even know most of the time. But I would just go like for hours of uh, like around Iran, mm-hmm. Tehran, Kashan. Mm-hmm. They have like all these like small cities, mm-hmm. uh, very very really historical mm-hmm. and a lot of culture. Mm-hmm. So I would go there. Um, I sometimes with friends, even sometimes I travel by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to do that, but it, it was never outside the country. Mm-hmm. So Singapore was the first one. Mm-hmm. And when I landed and I got that job, it enabled me to travel Hello. a lot in that mm-hmm. in that region, Southeast Asia. That's incredible. So you were there, you went back home, and then what happened next? Uh, well, I came back to Singapore because I, when I told the story of what I'm doing now, everybody in the past, when I when I was leaving, I remember my uncle. He said, "Please don't go," and you have no idea. People go to uh, overseas and they come back. They are uh, addicted to drugs and they, this and that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Don't do that and stay and all this thing. And after three years, when I went back, everybody was like, "Oh, get out of here! You should." pursue this don't come don't stay here uh, why are you coming back go enjoy yourself go and go uh, uh, improve your life and this and that so uh, now everybody was um in in, in on the other side and mm-hmm. supportive of mm-hmm. go and if you need help call us and tell us mm-hmm. and explain and, and everybody was like how did it work for you singapore is so expensive and mm-hmm. everybody wanted to know the story and were you just like I made it work because I worked hard? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, um, I do not. Um, uh, the truth is, there was a lot of luck uh, involved. Um, I would not say that it was all me. I, I was ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, I when I went to Singapore, even before that, um, I learned English. Uh, I learned German. Mm-hmm. I learned French. But that's not luck, though. Right. But what I'm saying is, I I was ready. So when I when the when, when the opportunity knocks, it's being ready. So it's 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 as if you exercise and you have you uh, eating well and all these things, and your body is ready. So when there is a challenge, you can take it take on take it on mm-hmm. and and succeed uh, and. There is also a possibility that a person is ready, but that opportunity never comes. Mm -hmm. I was lucky that these type of opportunity presented themselves Mm -hmm. to me. So in in that regard, I also give uh, a lot of portion of of what happened to luck. Mm -hmm. I believe in luck sometimes. I also believe that our luck we make. In a lot of ways, like I think being open and ready to for it and seeing that this is an opportunity is is, is part of the luck. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's also almost like the universe aligning to what you need to be doing as well. And then you kind of you you put in the work, and then you and you know there's a lot of things that you do, and sometimes you're granted what you want, sometimes you're not. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's 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 a really great way to look at it for sure. Okay, so after Singapore, so I start. We started selling software for an American company. Uh, so the American person, <clears throat> there was an American guy in Singapore mm-hmm. who um, who was looking for a partner, mm-hmm. and I 
uh, <clears throat> contacted him and I said, hey, uh, we are doing the same thing. How come, how, what if we become partners? And he said, okay. And I said, well, so I started working with him. Uh, so I got a lot of uh, connection to mm-hmm. uh, a lot of software company in the U.S. Uh, around year 2000, uh, there was an opportunity for me to come uh, as a consultant. Uh, so I ended up coming to the U.S. Uh, I, I took that opportunity, although that it did not look as good because everybody told me, they said, are you insane? You have such a great job here. Mm-hmm. Why are you leaving this? Mm-hmm. And it was mostly curiosity. My mom, I remember the day that she t- I told her she was very unhappy. She said uh, uh, she had a very bad view of America. Mm. Uh, what she was said, her view? Uh, she thought that people are drunk. Mm-hmm. They um, they rape child women in the street. Oh wow! Yeah, she, she, her her thing was well. They there is no like moral code code, and wow. so that again because they that's what the government. Yeah, it's not about just the government, but also the, the understanding of that generation was, well, America is evil. They are exporting sex and being uh, like uh, violence and everything everywhere. So it's it was her, her view was really bad. And, he, he, and, and, and on the other side, her view of Singapore and Malaysia, these are clean country, beautiful. And, and why are you giving that away and going somewhere that is... And and um, the the movies that was in Iran about uh, U.S. was like cowboys, and then uh, like all Western movies, and so it it wasn't showing a a view of like families and normal life to to people. Mm. Uh, and and I knew that's not true because now I had a lot of friends. I had come to the U.S. a couple of times, part of my work. Uh, I had visited here at least two, three times on business oh, visas. Wow. Yes, okay. this is prior coming here, mm. so I uh, I knew that that's not true. But uh, anyway, I ended up coming here because I would say I I am very curious person. If somebody says, "Hey, how about we do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you went, you wanted to explore. Yes. And where did you land? Um, well. <clears throat> the funny part of all this thing is that I was supposed to be in Los Angeles and in LA, the company is supposed to be there and um, they went out of business. Oh. It's a, it's a, it's a very long story by itself, but they told me that, Oh, I have to come to New Jersey. And I had no idea where New Jersey is. I was like, where is it? You're like, where is that? Is exactly. that like a state? Is it a city? I did not. I had no idea what it is. I mm-hmm. was like, where is it? They said, oh, it's next to New York. I said, oh, I know where New York is. All right, I'll go. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. And and so you moved to New Jersey. Yes. <clears throat> and um, where did you live in New Jersey? Uh, I lived in, uh, the, the company had a guest room in Edison, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And okay. then uh, then I started uh, looking, I, I found a job with uh, Reuters at the oh, time. Oh, okay. Uh, and... Um, then I moved very close to Reuters office, uh, actually in the same city, not late New Jersey, which is near uh-huh. Clifton. And uh, that's the, that, that's history. And so you've been there since then? Uh, no, I actually moved to New York uh-huh. uh, in 2003. Okay. 
Uh, I was in Battery Park. Oh, I was living. Let me guess. After nine eleven. Wait, wait. Why Battery Park? No, I'm not going assumptions. Why Battery Park? Why not Midtown? Well, because I I worked for Credit Suisse. Uh, and then um, one day, one of our colleagues said, hey, I have this apartment that I want to sell. And I said, I want to buy an apartment. And I had no money. And uh, it, it, was, it, it was completely, I was like, well, let me just see what it happens. And, and I ended up being able to get a mortgage and buy it. And wow. So I was in Battery Park, um, living in Battery Park in 2003 until 2004. Uh, when I got married and my ex-wife, uh, she was living in New Jersey and she wanted, she did not want to come to New York at all. Oh, really? So we moved back to New Jersey. Ah, so you were in Jersey and then you moved back to New York and then you, and then you were back in Jersey. But tell me what was it like to live in Jersey and New York? What was like the feeling? Did you feel ever culture shock when you just moved there? Did you, were you overwhelmed? Were you underwhelmed? Were you ready for New York? <clears throat> no, I actually was the other way around. Um, the city that I live in, Esfahan, is a very, very busy city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, after Esfahan, I moved to Singapore, which is also a hub and very busy. Yeah. So when I landed in New Jersey, oh gosh. I was completely shocked in a way. I was like, what? How come that everything is closing? Why yeah. everything is dark? Where are the people? What's going on? And this life, I, I mean, I was, I, I, at that time I was like, well, I have made a mistake. I cannot live. And then I, I discovered that, oh, the neighboring thing is New York. Mm-hmm. And I started coming to New York and, and some happening place in New Jersey. And I realized that, well, America is much bigger land. So you have all these different things. But in Singapore or in in Isfahan, where I uh, lived, the the entire state is like a condensed city next to each other. So you Mm. don't find like here. Sprawling space. Exactly. Which is funny you're saying sprawling space in New York City because there's no space here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah. and maybe in comparison, I know in comparison, it will seem like there's a lot of space. Right. Um, so you're in Jersey, you build a life with a family. Yes. And then, like, why not do, if you're in New York and you're in Jersey, did you also travel to places like California? Did you go to travel places like do you travel around the country to like explore it and see what it's more like? Was that something that happened immediately or after? Well, um, when I, um, before I come to the U.S., I used to travel to California a lot. So okay. I'm very familiar with California. Uh, I also went for some training from Singapore to Austin, Texas. Why does everybody train in Texas? Yeah. Every person is like, I have a training in, in Dallas. I'm like, why Dallas? Or like, right. I have a training in, 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 in Austin. I'm like, yes. what? So uh, the company that I work for, they had a, a headquarter in Austin mm-hmm. near the university. They had a lot of ch- a lot of kids from from this from uh, from uh, from the university. Um, so uh, I, I went there, uh, and then when I uh, got married in two thousand and four, we did travel quite a lot inside and quite a lot outside, okay. like. Uh, Caribbean and like South America and all those that. Oh, so okay, very yeah. nice. So you do yeah. love traveling. So you're clearly you're like a upwardly mobile young person. You are living in Jersey. 
Um, you have money to travel. Are you sending money back to your family? Uh, n- not in the beginning. Uh, um, it's well, I did, but not not a lot. Um, every so time did. that they needed support, I had I supported mm-hmm. my my brother and my my mom, but it was not something that it is uh, consistent because my mom has had like a pension. Uh, money that would come to her and okay. my brothers at this time they were okay. all uh, they had their own family and their own jobs and everything so not really um, except when we uh, rebuild our house I I chipped in you chipped in to rebuild your family home yes did every one of the siblings do the same yes so we actually have a, a three-story uh, apartment building and every brother stays in one building. Oh my gosh. To so separate all, you all? Yes. So it's like all together, which is great. So mm-hmm. each, each person has their own floor, but mm-hmm. we are also together. And how many siblings do you have? Two. Two brothers. Okay. And tell me a little bit about obstacles you face in the workplace. Um, when I was in Singapore... Uh, I didn't feel a lot of discrimination, mm-hmm. uh, not because there was not there. Mm-hmm. It was just I was so busy with my life and I didn't care. Um, and I think that that type of behavior came with me from Singapore to here, where I was really not conscious about if there was any discrimination or anything that was, uh, was bad. Uh, so... I couldn't say that I felt anything as an Iranian man that is was particularly discriminatory or particularly. And if it was, I, it didn't. I, it's not something that it affected me. It's not passive. The, yeah. The the only the, the thing that re- affected me the most was as an immigrant was the fact that um, I was uh, there was not a community to support. So I was, uh, I kept myself busy with either work or reading or traveling. So I I would keep myself. So everything I did was solo. Okay. So that was the only thing that was, um, uh, that I remember that uh, every time I had to plan for things that can be done without uh, anybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that has an effect uh, on in your life and mm-hmm. the way that you Function. you view things and functions. Exactly. So you're doing that all by yourself. And then after that, like, what was the next step for you? Like, you're in Jersey, you are married, you have a beautiful daughter, and you're working where? What are you working for now? Well, at the time, I was working in uh, Credit Suisse. I, I worked there for five years. And then um, my that was in Fidei, right? For a while, no, it was, it was near Battery Park. No, no, it's on Twenty Third and Park. Oh, okay, right. So it's in Midtown. Um, and then uh, when I when we moved to New Jersey uh, for for a while, I still coming doing the commute. But um, my ex wife was a dentist, and she opened up her own practice. Oh, nice. And then oh, nice. We, I started. Uh, running that practice. So we, we grew it from being a solo practice to having uh, three dentists, 
four hygienists and what? oral surgeon and oh my god and yeah and so who has the practice now she has the practice okay wow yeah. so you built you had a project together you built this practice from ground zero yes the, from the bottom yes and then you do you just share it now is that what's going no on? no no she has everything oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> separate conversation, separate conversation. <laughs> for other podcasts <laughs> i'm just hearing that i was like <gasps> okay so you're in america how do you feel to be an iranian man do people know you're iranian do they think you're from somewhere else do they think you're from iraq do they think what do they think how do you feel what is what is what is coming at you when they're looking at you well um there is uh, sometimes an audible shock from people that they say, from where? Uh, so, uh, yeah, most people, they don't even know on the map where it is. They don't know. Uh, they just know everything that is bad about Iran. Um, if yeah. you ask, If you ask an older person, they talk about hostages and they, a newer person and a younger person, they, they say things about like, and nuclear stuff and terrorism and all this thing. I remember. Oh yeah, there were hot. Yeah, I remember that right, whole. Yeah. Right. So uh, I remember uh, when I got my uh, first uh, house. I was gonna rent. Uh, oh I boy! Had a, <laughs> I'm already hearing the story. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I had a uh, not a roommate, but it, we we were in the same apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of separate, but it was the roommate type mm -hmm. of thing. So she asked me, she says, well, don't take this the wrong way, which usually people, uh, when they want to send something really yes, bad, yeah. they start with that. Yeah, yeah. I said, uh, you are not terrorist, are you? <laughs> How do you even go, come out and ask somebody that? And I was kind of like, I was like, what? And I did not even know what, what to, to say. say. Um, but I did feel... There are reservations, mm -hmm. which all because from the very young age, I learned that uh, when somebody says no, you just go to somebody else. You don't have to just keep pushing. Mm -hmm. So if somebody didn't give me their apartment, I did not get upset. Mm. I would just go to the next person, to the next, to the next. So for me... Uh, as I said, there might have been situation where there has been discrimination, there's been stuff, but I, it didn't really bother me because I would just move on. You just move on. But I mean, how about if that person is like your boss and they're like discriminatory or if they're your, your friends, your, your ex-wife's friend or your, or, or something you have to deal with every day? Like, how do you move away from that? Well, I don't have a lot of example of those that I would say, hey, this stuck with me. I would say maybe it has happened, but mm -hmm. it was so insignificant that I do not hold uh, that as, as something that I remember. Say, mm -hmm. hey, this I, I do remember. I mean, I used to come to U.S. I think before I come here and stay here, I came here for at least five times or six mm -hmm. times for different projects. Mm -hmm. And every time, and this is during Bill Clinton, uh, he oh, yeah. uh, he asked that Iranian get fingerprinted and photographed and interviewed every time that they come in. 
So the the whole situation now with, with, with Trump is really not new for Iranian per se. So I remember that one time I went to LA and two weeks later I had to come back. And I came from the same port of entry and it was the same officer. And she looked at me and she said, I know you and I'm sorry, but I have to fingerprint you and photograph you and interview and ask all those questions that I asked from you two weeks ago. And I know it's ridiculous, but I have to do my job. And I said, fine, go yeah. ahead and do it. So I, I wouldn't take it personally. I was mm-hmm. like, well, this person is... There has been like things that people say on the background, but if you ask them, I, I mean, uh, I just look at the person as an ignorant person because I, there are things that they say. I'm like, well, it shows that you don't know anything. So yeah. let's not, not go and, there. And you know what? And, and, and it's, it's funny you take that road cause I try to teach and right. I try to educate and I'm also thinking this person's incredibly ignorant. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, you're really ignorant and I can't allow it to bother me. Yeah. But sometimes I just can't let it go. I'm like, I got to right. help you out. Right. I got to help you out for the next person because this is ridiculous. We can still break bread and I'm not going to be like, we're never going to talk because right. it's just not, we're, it's not productive. Right. Um, but I just, I'm like, yeah, this is this is ridiculous. Right, right. So it, it's it's interesting to hear that perspective. Right. Um, I mean, I had people that thought that I am Arab, mm-hmm. and I would tell them that, well, we are neighbors and yeah, stuff. But we are not. But I'm not. They mm-hmm. would say that, are you from Iraq? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not. I've had people that uh, uh, said that, oh, uh, you uh, um, you look Jewish, and I said, well, okay, well, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, so, so that's all you all, want, <laughs> exactly. So people make make assumption and based on assumption sometimes they act uh and 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 it's fine so i think perhaps very early when i when i went to singapore i do remember this that i was living in in a a neighborhood where people really had no idea where is iran and i think that we had a neighbor and she told me one time that she thought that after a while i thought that she she thought that i'm from Ireland uh, and she was like well and I was like Ireland and Iran it's, that is in Europe what has nothing that is in me and you know um, or like they talked about I know they people talk about they were like I, I, one time I said I am in Singapore Singapore is in Southeast Asia oh, and, I, well, yeah, I'm glad you're stating that because people don't know where that is continue right, right. so I talked to somebody and I said, they said, well, so where is Iran? And I said, you know that Iran is in Asia. They were like, no, no, no. Iran is not in Asia. And I was like, what do you mean? So where is it? And then somebody that thought that they are very smart, they said, oh, it's in Middle East. I said, there is no continent as called as Middle East. The, con- the only continent that exists is Asia. And, and we are all Asian. And... They were like, oh, no, by Asian, I mean China. No. And I was like, no. And that is a common misconception. Right. Uh, I had friends that are Egyptian. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, I tell people that I'm from Africa. They were like, no, you're from Middle East. And I'm like, no, (laughs) Egypt is part of Africa. It's in North (laughs) America. Yes. Yeah. And, and, And it's all about how you see it. But like. Middle East is not a continent. It's, exactly. a, it's, it's a region and it's part of Asia. Asia, correct. 
exactly. Okay, so... So I think all those ignorance over the years caused me when somebody says something that I dislike, I just say that, oh, this person is ignorant, <laughs> so let's move on. Let's move and on. Like, like, so I very rarely I try to correct mm-hmm. Very, very rarely I try to, to confront. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> My mistake. It is in Middle East continent. Let's Seriously? Move on. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's, you're the bigger person. You're like, this is not a battle I'm going to win. Right. There's no point of going there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. I, I'm always like, I don't say they're dumb. I just, I'm like, this is just wrong. Okay, Jay, I'm looking at your photo right now. Yeah, what happened what? to me? What? <laughs> what was this photo? What was this photo taken? This is 2015. Oh my god! Oh, without a beard. Yes, yes. You look very different without a beard. I know. I um, this is the day I February 23rd, 2015, when I was hired. What? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Okay, so sorry, I just sure. got distracted by his badge uh-huh. for his office. Okay, so basically talking about that and. And living in New York or Jersey, uh, and you lived in Battery Park, so you've had these two different perspectives. You've immigrated through the United States, you've been in LA, you've lived in Singapore, you, you lived in Iran. Where else did you move to? And where else would you move to? Well, I travel through for, for work. Um, I have traveled to Tokyo and I have traveled to, to, uh, to London. Um, for, for pleasure, I have been to Canada, Toronto, Montreal, um, I see a lot of these countries, like let's say first world country. Mm-hmm. If, uh, so there is an understanding of what I'm talking about. Uh, very, very similar. Um, they have ups and downs. Uh, I see. I, I was in uh, San Jose a few months ago for a training. Uh, I can see myself living there. I can see myself. There. I. I was in San Diego a few years ago, and I loved the weather, mm-hmm. loved everything. There is a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hiking here. I love New Jersey. I love Northeast. Uh, you go to California, there is a different climate, different personality, mm. different people. You go to Washington, and you go. So uh, I, personally, I see myself as very, to live somewhere that is a city-like, very much like New York. I, I need like actions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I but I love being in the country for a for a day or a few days for hiking or something. But I cannot live that lifestyle. Uh, it's just uh, not who I am. But at the end of the day, I have been in many countries, and I think no matter where I. I end up, I can survive and you can make a great deal of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, one place is much, much, much better. One, much, one, one place could be worse, but there is also experience that comes with that greatness or, uh, or if it's not what I want. So it's, um, I, I don't see... One place that I say, you know what? If I don't live here, I would, um, uh, I can't live. Uh, I would, uh, I think everywhere has its own good and bad. Hmm. So basically you are someone or you come from the school of thought of that, you know, no matter where you go, 
things can work. Um, you yes. Could, and if you really kind of network as well as just make it, I guess it's kind of like being adaptable. I think it talks to something deeper in you that you're able to not be bothered by a lot of different things. Like you're not bothered by the fact that someone might say to you something aggressive about where you're from. You're not bothered by the fact that, you know, people don't understand that you are who you are, like your background and your culture. In fact, you just kind of laugh it off. And that speaks to someone who is just truly very adaptable. You've moved to a lot of different places. Yes. I think that makes you a, a unique person. Um, I, I've moved a couple of times as well. And even though I've been in places where people have always questioned, like, where am I from? And, yes. And I do think an aspect of it is, is that is a little different is I don't have an accent, um, but I am like a dark skinned black woman. So when they do see yes. me, they're kind of like, oh, like I live in South America. And they're like, are you Brazilian? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. Like, are you like Colombian? Or I'm like, no. They're like, Guyana. I'm like, no, but Ghana. And they're like, where? So a lot of people actually knew where that was. Yeah. Not whereas in the States, I knew, I told people Ghana and some people didn't know where that was. Right. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Whereas in Latin America, I felt almost everybody either, and maybe Ghana. they could have been lying, yeah. but usually yeah. they're like, yeah, I know where it is. We, right. we, we, we like football. So we right. know your country. Exactly. And that was a big thing. So I noticed though, even when I went to Ghana, people knew I was American. They're like, you look, you could friend. be French. And I was like, right. I'm not <laughs> and they're like, but you look, I was like, I was right. like, no, both my parents are from here. And then they're like, but you're American. Cause you, your clothes. And I was like, okay. Yes. So I just feel like where I've always felt that I can find a way and make it work. Um, I've always stuck out. So, and, right. and I don't, and I know I, part of that is not necessarily blending, but also not, not blending, but also not always wanting to blend and not always being able to. And I do think, the skin tone does have an aspect or an effect on that. But with that being said, I did live in Argentina for four years. There's literally no black people there. And I sure. built a life and friends and was able to live and survive their time. Mm -hmm. in the beginning was rough. Right. <laughs> the, the end was better. And then mm -hmm. I moved. Yes. And you make it work. Um, and that's what I love about talking to people about moving and, right. and, and, and how you see, that that perspective of like, you just adapt. People are going to say right. things and it's not deep. Um, but can I ask you a question? You sure. mentioned, okay. So, cause when I think of Iran, there's, it's not necessarily an Arab country. There's a lot of different religions, just like Iraq. It's not right. just Arab. So when people are so like, Oh, the Arab countries, I'm like, there's a lot of religions in that area. Right. Right. <laughs> They're not, not all of them are Muslim. They're like, right. so what would you say the top three religions in Iran? So Iran is 90% Muslim mm -hmm. uh, and the other 10%, well, 90% is Muslim Shia, uh, which is prominently in Iran. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, that, uh, and then some are in Pakistan and some are in Lebanon. Okay. Um, then there is, uh, I think about 5% Muslim Sunni, which is like the rest of the Middle East from Saudi Arabia okay. to all Arab, Arab countries okay. are, are Sunni, including mm -hmm. Afghanistan okay. and Pakistan, majority. So the Sunni Islam is majority of Muslim around the world. <clears throat> and then the rest uh, is Christian and Jews. Uh, at some point, Iran had the highest number of Jews living in Iran outside Israel. 
if it was even more than America. And you know what? Going back to Argentina, there was a very, they also state they had the largest percentage of Jewish population outside. And interesting enough, Argentina has a lot of connections with Iran and also like in that area. So I'm wondering if there's like a little, ooh, do tell. So a lot of of, uh, Iranian Jews, either they moved to to Israel Mm -hmm. or they moved to Argentina. Okay. So I I was like, wait, I do remember reading about this, but I wanted to be sure. That's interesting. And they, they have come here to mm-hmm. the U.S., but uh, but these were these were two prominent places. That mm-hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, the religion is 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 mostly Islam in in Iran. It's a little bit different in Lebanon. It's a little bit, Lebanon is has more Christians and very much like Egypt, they have a lot of. But uh, Iran is majority a Muslim country and Shia Muslim. Okay, okay. And Iraq is Sunni Muslim. Yes. Okay, which is Uh, case in point why there's so much friction uh, maybe or no? No, I mean, that was not a religious war. Mm -hmm. It was just Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. He wanted to get the the oil producing uh, states in south of Iran, which they do speak Arabic and they are Arabs, Iranian, but they are Iranian. And he said, hey, these guys speak Arabic, same religion, it's part of our country and invaded Iran for eight years. There was a war. It had nothing to do with religion, although mm-hmm. a lot of people attached to it. Uh, it had nothing to do with race, mm-hmm. although... A lot of people were attached to attached it. They <laughs> said, hey, it's Arab mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and Persian, and this mm-hmm. and that. Uh, it had nothing to do with... It was just a, a, a guy who wanted to uh, to get some land that mm-hmm. is very rich in natural resources. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so... Dropping so much knowledge, Jay. So much history. I love it. Sure. <laughs> I love it. This is my favorite thing. And I and my listeners also agree. Like sure. this is the type of information you want to hear. And it gives you a different perspective because what you see in the news, right. which is very siloed, what you read can also be very skewed. So right. it's nice to hear someone who has lived through various um who's lived in Iran, um, now lives here, has seen various political ideologies and also right. can give out their perspective. So I love that. But okay, so would you say you're religious? No. I uh, parted with religion when I was almost 18. Uh, oh, I, interesting. Yes, I was still in Iran. Uh-huh. Uh, I was going to the college and I started questioning uh, like basic stuff like, well, how the world was created, who created it, uh, what is, where is the heaven? And like, I did the basic, same thing. I did the same stuff. thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, yeah. Uh, didn't we all? But again, because uh, <laughs> the country was very, very closed and it was like uh, almost a crime to be asking those questions, uh, I stopped really pursuing that answer to those questions. Mm. Um, and then when I went to Singapore, I started really looking at uh, religion to see what other religion are there because I did not find that Islam is answering those questions properly. So I, I researched the five big religions like Christianity, Judaism, mm-hmm. Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, <clears throat> all those those religions, <clears throat> and I found that all of them, except like Hinduism and Buddhism, they like the big religion. They are saying the same thing mm-hmm. that how the when was the earth created, mm-hmm. how were Adam and Eve created, and 
they were kicked out of heaven because they had an apple and the God was talking to a snake. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, you know what? I, so as soon as I heard that story, I was like, all right, I'm out. So I did not even pursue anything else. I was like, well, if, if you don't get the basic st stuff right, and I don't care if you say this is a symbol or whatever it is, just tell me straight. And then I started like looking at Hinduism and Buddhism, and, and I disliked them for different reason. Uh, but I decided to be agnostic and say, hey, I don't know what happened. But I know that every one of us should really stick to uh, to, diff to, uh, to to certain rules, so mm -hmm. we don't kill each other and we don't uh, and be human. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all I need. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, to answer your question, no, I'm not religious at all. <laughs> like not at <clears throat> all. Not at all. And um, is is your family religious? Yes. Okay. I was born in a very religious family. My um, my uh, grandfather was very much like a preacher mm -hmm. here. Uh, he wasn't any like priest or anything officially, but he was very much in, in uh, like a clergyman in, 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 in Muslim type of what, thing. So not a, what's it, what's it called? What's the name of it officially? Uh, in Persian? Mm -hmm. Well, they call them Rouhani. Okay. And, Meaning that somebody mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. uh, of the soul mm -hmm. means soul, and uh, <clears throat> so um, uh, well, people here they call them mullah, but it's not mullah; it's different. <laughs> You're like different name, it's and different. what's the difference? So mullah in in the past were people that actually they were teachers. Mm. So although that the teachers they were also religious, but mullah in Persian were. Uh, like the, the school teachers, but they were re wearing the same attires. So they started like showing that attire that a lot of clergymen they wear, and they started making a little bit fun of it. Mm. So now in Western culture, a lot of people that are a dissident and they don't like the uh, the regime in Iran, they call them mullah as a as not a very good, good way to call, call the person. Mm. So it's it's not very respectful, mm. and that has stuck in a lot of me media here. Sometimes I hear that was like, well, it's a, it's not the right. It's word. not the right word. But Do people use so in mainstream media? People are like, oh, he's a mullah, and you're like, that is really disrespectful. <laughs> well, it is not disrespectful. It, people say it in a disrespectful way, even mm. in Iran today. Mm -hmm. But it's a dis, It's not a. Correct uh, way. Correct way of saying. Mm, yes. Okay. And what's it like in Iran now? Uh, it is uh, so um, socially. It has opened up because of the internet and Instagram mm. and Facebook and Twitter. People have a lot of more access, especially through internet. Um, uh, economically, it's it's very very hard. For, it's it's uh, people are in a lot of hardship, especially after. Uh, sanction that Trump has put on the travel ban and all these things—it's it's, it's extremely hard living there economically. Mm -hmm. Politically, people are fed up, but at the same time, there is a lot of pride and there is a lot of mistrust towards West in general, but in particular towards uh, British and American. I mean, I wonder why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's been a lot of. Wars that has been instigated, uh, and it's been shown. In 1953, there was a 
a democratic uh, government with an extremely, extremely uh, intelligent guy who wanted to bring democracy in Iran in 1953. It was squashed by CIA and the U.S. And I think the uh, uh, CIA actually declassified all of everything that they did. Mm. Uh, they squashed their effort because they were supporting the Shah, which was the king, and then the, the author, uh, authoritarian in Iran, they wanted to spend a million dollars, but they, with $100,000, they brought, brought his government down. They just paid people to create unrest and, and, and hit people mm -hmm. and kill people in the street. And people said, hey, please come back, restore the order and all these things. So there is a huge amount of mistrust politically to the West. Uh, but at the same time, people like a lot of openness. So there is contradiction on the younger generation in what they want and what they don't want. They are still a lot loyal to the idea of Iran as an entity, as a, as a cultural and historical that they want to keep. But they also like modernization and... And all of that, so there is a huge amount of uh, like contradiction if, between things that they want. Mm. So the new generation, you see, there is a lot of nationalism and globalism at the same time. Mm. And you are like, Very what are you talking? <laughs> yes, you're like, what are you talking about? These are two different things. So yes. Okay. All right. And um, would you say your daughter's, is she very in tune with what's happening? Like, how does she view, view herself as a first-generation kid? Um, she doesn't. She says that I'm American. <laughs> Which you are uh, for being, I feel yes. like Americans are Americans once you've been there for X amount of years. So right. you are in a lot of ways, no, but no, you're still no, very. No. I'm talking about my daughter. Oh, she, okay. she does not, she says I'm American. And oh. she's like, well, for you. So she's yeah. nine. She has a little bit of uh because of her disability, so she does not uh, do a lot of, uh, we don't talk about that a lot, mm -hmm. but my mom travels here uh, a lot mm -hmm. uh, because she has green card and for her to keep her green card, she has to not to be outside the country more than six months. So she comes here at least twice a year and she stays with us for a couple of months every time that she comes. And my uh, daughter learns Persian words from her, uh, so she does have some understanding about me, my mom, and the Persian culture, and this music, and and the language, and the difference, and all this thing, but but not a lot. Okay, okay. So, would you say that your situation here is better than it would be if you were living in Iran still? Um, depends on what you mean by situation. Mm financially financially yes for sure okay um politically emotionally all the above um uh there is something to say about living life simply uh, which can be lived over there there is something to say about culture and music and poetry that is extremely deep over there here without disrespecting American culture. No. Uh oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> without doing that, um, because it's different. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in comparison, uh, the, the poetry and the music is a lot shallower than 
poetry and music when it comes to the Persian. Uh, if you look at the, a lot of like poetry of Rumi's and Hafez and Sadi, when you want to read a poetry, their poems, you don't understand it until you read one book or you read the history because they put a lot of things that you have to understand in order to understand what it says because it makes it rhymes but it makes no sense. So you have to understand it. So a lot of things are a lot more deeper uh, in my personal okay. opinion. So for me, and, and, and I don't think that it's for, any, for everybody, for me living over there, it's, uh, it's going to be definitely a simpler life. Um, the food is going to be much more delicious, again, because of my taste. For somebody else, may not be. I enjoy the music and the the poetry and the culture much more. So in that sense, if I go and live there, I would probably would be more fulfilled. Uh, every other thing, the answer is no. And because I have now roots here with my daughter and stuff, uh, I probably will stay here, but... Yeah, I don't know if I answered your no, question. No, you did answer my question. Although it is disheartening to hear the fact that you feel poetry and music is, is shallow. I was just commenting with a coworker. They don't make music like they used to. Like, like I was literally right. my parents. But I do feel that there is really deep music and in, in poetry that is available. It's not as... It's not what you see in social media, and that's what like right. most people are looking at. Unfortunately, right. when they're looking for this instant gratification, short, quick form like right. poetry through an Instagram post, um, it's less accessible. You really right. need to you really need to search for it, and you really need to actually you need to search for it. Yeah, like right, I've, right. I'm I've gone to poetry groups and and talked about poetry and. And I've like read it and I've always loved it. And music for me is such an expressive and deep way to talk about what's happening politically and physically and all these other things. But realistically, I, I can see what you're saying. I really worry for the younger generation, understanding a, a, a connection to the culture that is more than just like a screen. Right. Um, I had to read books. I had to like go to the library and like search for things in the library. I don't even know if people really use the library that often anymore. Right. Well, also remember that I went to school. I went to college over mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a lot of historical background with that culture. Mm -hmm. Whereas I do not have in America. That's true. So a lot of people, like for example, my daughter thinks that she learns about founding fathers and the history and the civil war and this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody says uh, a, a reference, they, she gets it a lot much quicker than I do. And it's similarly for me, uh, I say, oh, uh, this poetry from Rumi, when I see like a, a few lines that I'm like, well, look at how deep he thought about oneness of the whole universe thousands of years ago, uh, how deep he, he said what he said. So again, it's lack of understanding, not, it's not a statement of the fact. It's my familiarity with that culture that makes me make that statement. Uh, 
because I'm unfamiliar with this culture and I'm more familiar with that culture. I stand corrected and I'm glad you recognize that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? But I do, I still do worry because I, I, I don't yeah. know what people are, are, are learning these days. I mean, I guess they are doing what I did a long time ago, but kids are so much more plugged into their phones. I just sure. don't know how you're connecting and they have phones in school and they try right. to make rules that you can't look at your phone, but you yeah. look at your phone. True. I just feel like there's a different connection with culture sure. and literature and music and what that means. And it just seems kind of disheartening at the same time. Kids have access to everything. now. Right. Right. Anything and everything at the top right. of their fingers. Right. I, I remember, um, part of a lot of respect from, from older people and elderly in our culture was the fact that you actually learn things from them. You, you, they taught you history. They taught you cooking. They taught you how to fix your bike and they taught you how to, to do this and that. So you got respect for your father and your mom and your grandmother, uh, they tell you, you know, when you are sick, when you have cold, what to do. Today, that's YouTube. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, <laughs> so, they, kids, yeah. so kids, they were like, my daughter, she said to me, she said, well, can you make me banana swirl? And I say, what is it? And she was like, I just texted you. I looked at it. It was a YouTube. And I can show you there was a YouTube thing that she said how, how to make banana swirl, which I had no idea what it was. My thing is kids today have access to more information than their previous generation had. So there is not a knowledge need to the elderly uh, and an and older generation. Um, and, and if they want to know something about history, it's in their fingertip. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit different era. It's definitely a different era, that's for sure. Right. And how you relate to it and how do you see it. That's yes. fascinating. So you here for your family. If you didn't have your family, if you were by yourself, would you stay here or would you move somewhere else? Um, I would be traveling. I would probably pick up a job that requires me to travel a lot. I enjoy going to different cultures. I do not mind if, if it's too cold, if it's rainy, if it's too hot, if they don't have air conditioning, if there it's too, I, I don't mind that. I, I do enjoy to see something completely new, local, talk to people that that would be what I would probably do. Mm, nice. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the common, common theme for most people. They yes. go as far as they could go and, and try it all out. Yeah. Um, is there anything more you would like to add or that you would like to speak about? Um, no, not really. It was a uh, pleasure actually going down the memory lane and remember <laughs> things. And uh, so it was, uh, it was great. Thank you for uh, interviewing me. You're welcome. Oh, we did not say this. Dating. We did not talk about dating. What it was like dating in Iran oh. versus Singapore versus here. We uh -oh. didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about that. That is the dark <laughs> spot of... <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, in Iran, dating is, is, is really forbidden. Uh, so it's like you really don't date. You either marry, marry. or you are with your fa own family. And uh, so it's really... Uh, although... Um, um, like here, mm. when like marijuana was illegal, still people were smoke marijuana. Mm -hmm. It's just illegal. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so it people were, were do it, but 
it was not considered dating. It was like uh, really like uh, going out, not anybody knowing about. So dating went from nothing to everything. Yes. Um, and so you were having a great time, obviously. Yes. And what was the defining factor versus like, oh, well, I couldn't really date. I couldn't be with people. And, and I imagine a lot of relationships were set up through the families. Like, in Iran, yes. Yeah. Um, so in Singapore, you have all this so freedom. In Singapore, I have nobody. Nobody knows me. Mm -hmm. So I can do whatever I want. I can do Oh, gosh. You must have gone crazy. Yes. You must have gone crazy. I like, I am a free man. No one even knows me here. Yes. Oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. And so, and you're also very young too. Yes. So you're there I for- I was like 23, 24 years old. I was in Singapore. I uh, I was quite distinguished from a lot of Asian men. Oh, of course. European. Of course. And so I was, were... and, and I wasn't, initially I was very shy, but after, you know, you date a few people and then I always wanted to, to see different culture and different- <laughs> He's like, I want to try it all. So I like I did. And you did. And you went everywhere. And and yes. and, and and so after doing that for yeah. that long I I should not be proud of that, I guess. I mean it's only for it happens. It, it's yes. like your rumspringa, your your experience of many cultures and people. Yes. And then it was for cultural reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and so then after that you went to the States, and what was that like? Well, similar. It was very similar when I came here. Mm -hmm. uh, although, because of my work and because of a lot of things, it was not as the way that I was in Singapore or Southeast Asia. Um, and I was just here settling down. But there was something that was missing. Mm -hmm. I was getting like a little bit, uh, uh, how do you say, um, not fulfilled, mm. and uh, and I think that was part of the bigger issue of me rushing to get married because mm. I really wanted to have a solid like relationship, settle down, and have children and a family. So I rushed it. You rushed it. I rushed it. You got married. You had a beautiful daughter. Yes. It happens. I feel like it happens when you're young, well, it happens when you're old. I know, but if I tell you how I rushed it, you probably won't believe that. Give us a snippet. Well, I knew my ex-wife on July 4th of the day after 4th of July, 5th of July mm. of 2004, and we were married in August 6th. So of 2005? 2004. You've got to be kidding me. I have, I got married in 31 days. <gasps> yes. Wait. <laughs> was there a re like, was there, it there wasn't was like no a beast, there was no, there's no beast, so there was no nothing. You were just in love, you were in love. No, no, it was just. You courted her? Like courted her in like. Yes, a but, but, but mostly it wasn't, I, I, I really wanted to have family. I was like, well, everything, the, the resumes, they're perfect. We, we checked a lot of checkpoints. And I was like, what else do I want? And she said, well, I also have one. And then we did not know each other. And that was the biggest problem. Uh, and also I was I was like, I'm dating from this day to this day to mm -hmm. this day. 
So I was also tired of mm-hmm. doing that. Okay, so... So I, and I went to the, I think, uh, um, I think it was uh, my, the, one of the therapists that I talked to, she said, well, I have never heard somebody that get married in 30 days. Sometimes in movies, but not in movies. Not in movies. <laughs> not in real life. So you did that. You were together. You, like, hardly knew each other. But also what was going on in her mind where she was just like, I'm ready. This is, She was also ready for it. I was probably good looking. No, just yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you're probably both good looking. You no. have, like, how old are you at this time? I am 47. No, at that time when you all met. Oh, uh, 2004, I was 32. You're 32. And she was 29. Okay. 32, 29. It's not like you're babies, but you're, you are still quite young. Yes. And you are out in the city. You live in Battery Park by now, yeah? Yes. Okay, so you probably got like a nice apartment in Battery Park. She, you know, you have money, you've traveled, you're well read, educated, all these things. She's probably the same. You meet each other and it just kind of works. Right. But you definitely, char- like, you charmed her. She charmed, like, there's a lot going on there, Jay. Yes. That, is, that is impressive. Well, I don't. I would say more crazy than impressive. It is. It is crazy, but it, I would never judge that type of crazy because sometimes people just want it, and 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 they're just very invested in it. So sure. that happened. Wow. So like, once you get married, like, uh, uh, how, what do people around you say? What are you feeling? All these things. Well, I, I remember that uh, my my one of my colleague that uh, at the time I was in Credit Suisse, he, he used to sit with me and we used to eat lunch together every day. Very nice guy. He said, uh, so he came to me and he said, uh, before I, I, I marry, um, one time I was going out after work and I met one of the people that I was dating. Mm-hmm. And then the next day he said, listen, I'm very concerned for you because this is the third person within the past month that I see that you're dating, what the hell is going on with you? You cannot be dating so much. Mm-hmm. And when I saw some my ex-wife, my ex-wife and we got married, I told him, I said, well, I, I am seeing this person. And then when I told her that, I, I told him that I'm married, like a few months later, every time he was like, oh, so what's going on? And I was like, why were you asking? And he said, listen, I, I'm gonna just go and ask you. Did you get her pregnant? And I said no. And he was like, "Then why in the hell do you have been dating so much?" Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you see this person, and you get married in a month. Why? What is the explanation? And I said, yeah, "Nothing. It was just so. It was it was a shock for a lot of people that why, what was the reason? And there wasn't any reason. It was mm-hmm. just, our resumes uh, kind of had like a perfect match on, on paper. And on paper you looked good and you met, how did you meet? Uh, we met through, uh, at the time there was an online uh, thing, that, but it wasn't, it was like mostly like meeting other Persian or Iranian in, in the area. Uh-huh. So we, it wasn't like, like swiping. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It was like meet people. Like, mm-hmm. It was like meet people, single people, and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 wasn't uh, really like swiping and yes and. and uh huh. So you did that. You met you met her through this 
online application, you dated for a month, her family. Four months. <laughs> and then you just got married. Yes. And was it a huge wedding? Yes. Well, uh, I had three people from my side. She had 150 from her side. Wait, what? 100? Well, yeah, maybe because was she born here? No. How did you have 150 people? That's massive. Yeah, her, her family, they knew a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you did this. You had a big wedding. Yeah. And then it was, uh, it is what it is. You got married and, and now you're divorced and, and yes. that's sort of the good thing. So after five years, we had our daughter, uh -huh. uh, which is really the love of my life. Uh -huh. she's, she's extremely, extremely, she, she changed uh -huh. a, a lot uh -huh. in life for me. So she, she was born and uh, after six years, I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's it. And then, so and then, now he's going back to where I was. <laughs> yeah, and then she's born, and like, what would you say? Like, what was something the defining moment in your relationship was the fact that like you got married too quickly, or was it that on paper not only did you not work, it was just like not meant to work because of the time of how quickly all did start getting married. Um, I I don't I, I don't know maybe I don't know exactly what you mean by the question okay what i mean is like what went wrong i mean some people may after 30 days and it makes it work that's why you, you say it's crazy well, but sometimes so, it works no well um, i think we had different way of looking at things in life mm. uh, which um, uh, which caused a lot of misunderstanding um but at the same time we were like okay so it is what it is you have given your word and you just deal with it. And uh, but that's that is not how a relationship works. At some point, it's going to come to to a point where everything is going to just explode. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we never addressed and we never resolved and we never got complete with. So it was just one thing after another and after another and after another. Mm. And then it was and then it was it. Yeah. And now you're free and single. Yes. How's it feel? Uh, feels good. I mean, um, there is a great thing to be in a relationship, mm -hmm. being married, and but but again, I I think you you mentioned I am very adaptable. Mm -hmm. So it's it has its own way of being single mm -hmm. versus being married. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Jay, this has been highly interesting. Have you seen like the 30 day, like the TV shows on that on like TLC, they're like the 30 day visa already like that. When you told me 30 days, it's like, wait, no, he was already living and working here. He didn't need a visa. He was good. Yes. yes. You I mean, just nobody had visa. I, I had green card. She's citizen. There was nothing. There's none of that. Legal. There was none of you that. You literally just got married in 30 <laughs> days. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the first date, the second date, the third date, the mid, like, the month, like, when did you decide you're like, I'm going to well, propose? You probably dated probably in total like six times during that three, 30 days. And then you just talked a lot on the phone? Yes. Okay. I believe it. Okay. So you see each other enough, you talk, you connect, and yes. then it, yeah. Wow.
That is honestly, my mind is blown. Okay. I like it though. It's a great, it's a great story, mm-hmm. if anything. And also, it speaks a lot to your adaptability. In a good way. In a good way. In a good way. But you made it work. It's not like you didn't, it's not like it didn't work and you were together for a period of time. And so I'm eight afraid, years. You were married for eight years. That's, that's some time. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's some time. And I, I'm i from... I mean, we, we got married in 2004. Mm-hmm. We were separated in 2012, which is eight years. Mm-hmm. And we got divorced in 2014. Okay. Our divorce took almost two years, whereas our, like, getting married took, like, 30 days. Jeez, this sounds like Isn't a mess. It? This sounds like a divorce seems, like, long. Yes, it was nasty. It was long. Oh, people were pissed. <laughs> you're like, I was angry, she was angry. Eh, well, divorce is not always not quick. But you're free, it, it's for the most part. <laughs> um, and you made it through, and now you live in Jersey and live your best life all the time. And it's been quite the pleasure talking to you. This, this, these last 10, 13 minutes have been really good in particular. <laughs> Can't wait to cut this down. But like, Sorry, <laughs> I, uh, I, I really don't want but, uh, to, but it's, it's great. It's I, great, I, and I will show you what I show before I, it goes anywhere. No, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Okay. I, I am an open book. Okay, that's good. Um, but, um, yeah. Dang. Great interview. Everything. Really informative. Really historical. I learned a lot. I could see a lot of where you came from um, and and how you think and also how you're so successful and how you are now doing what you do and you will continue to do what you do and aiming for the stars and, and not letting anything bother you. Very, very true to what we're learning every day in our program and um very, very, very engaging. So thank you very much for allowing me to interview you and (laughs) we will be in touch.